When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. This is Cork Today. Cork Today. With Patricia Messenger on C103. Cork's greatest hits. C103. And a very good Monday morning as we welcome you along to the programme. We've got Bernie taking your calls at 1850-333-103. Bernie sitting in for John Paul, who's off for this week. Uh, you can text her WhatsApp to 0862-103-103. And for fear I forget, later on, the postman arrived with some a couple of really nice congratulations cards for me this morning. And I just want to acknowledge safe receipt of them and to say thank you uh, to two ladies. One is Elizabeth and the other is Anne. I don't have any more information other than that or what part of the city or county they're from but Elizabeth and Anne, thank you. I really really do appreciate those uh, cards. They are lovely. Thank you for that and actually I spent a lot of the time at the weekend trying to catch up with people and getting out emails to people and answering people on social media. People have just been beyond kind, beyond kind is all I can say since I got the Hall of Fame Award last uh, Wednesday so to, to anyone I didn't manage to get through to thank you thank you thank you I'll never be able to get to all of the thank yous that I received certainly on social media it went a bit all a bit nuts on Thursday and uh, Friday now today is a very special day for tens of thousands of workers because businesses start to reopen today. Some of them for the first time in more than 18 months. I know the Tónis of Varadkar was out at the weekend describing today as a very big day. Uh, not only will many people return to work in an office for the first time since the start of the pandemic, many businesses including indoor dance, yoga, Pilates classes, art classes, indoor sports, fitness classes all allowed to reopen uh, today and the numbers that can be allowed to those indoor events is 100 people and there's been a, there's been so many people have missed their yoga classes or their spin classes or their dance classes and certainly for children they've certainly missed them so they, they all are going ahead as and from uh, today. All those attending indoor spaces though must be fully vaccinated are they need to provide that they're immune via a recent recovery having recently recovered from COVID-19. All restrictions on outdoor group activities, they've all been removed from today, meaning now that there's no upper limit on numbers if you're attending an event that is 
outside uh, in, in inside exercise classes, bands, bowling alleys they can reopen, amusement arcades, chess clubs and any other indoor activity. They're all set to return today, as I say, but the limit on the numbers is 100, but you must have your COVID certificate. So as I say, the very best of luck, because I imagine there's a little bit of nervousness, I think, on behalf of some people. Most of the businesses are doing this staggered return where everybody isn't going back in today. People will be going in, some will be going today, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, they'll stagger it across the week. And I'm assuming that that's the way, and it's of course, it is up to all individual businesses how they do it. But I'm assuming it'll be staggered between now and the 22nd of October. And then the 22nd of October, when we expect all of the remaining restrictions to be lifted, bar the wearing of face masks on public transport and the wearing of face masks in retail, everything else is expected. If the numbers continue to go the way they're going, everything else gets moved on the 22nd of October. So I take it the 22nd of October then is when everybody is back into the office and life tries to return to as normal as it was pre the um, pre the uh, pandemic. Now, as I say, there's a sense of nervousness on behalf of some people. There are certainly some people who will be really looking forward to returning to the office. Last year when we were, it was around this time, September, October, I remember getting a heartbreaking email in from a listener who was saying her husband really wasn't coping with working from home. He had been home office had been closed. He was doing all of his work from home, able to do the work and all of that. But she just said she could see him from a mental health level. She could see him going downhill. She said he's the type of guy who needs to go into the office every day, needs that socialisation, chatting with people, you know, the water cooler moment, meeting somebody in the canteen for a cup of coffee, maybe joining another colleague for lunch and all that had been taken away from from him. And she said she could see him. He was really going into himself and she was really, really worried. I remember at the time she contacted us to say, have we any indications as to how soon people will be able to get back uh, to work? And now it's nearly a year on from that particular email. So I, I assume that particular gentleman and his wife, who was so desperately worried about him, hopefully he did OK for the rest of the year. But he's somebody who will be very much looking to returning to the office and meeting up with the, uh, colleagues today. Some who literally haven't seen their work colleague in the flesh for 18 months. Now, they would have had Zoom calls and they would have been looking at each other through screens, but to actually physically meet in person. And then there's also a cohort of people who took up a new job during the pandemic and it is it will be their first time ever going into the office and ever meeting their co-workers uh, face uh, to face even though some of them will have been working for the company for well over a year and it's very possible they'll be meeting co-workers for the first time that they've never even met on Zoom they would have only have dealt with people on screen who they needed to deal with but there could, they, there could be other people in the office as well because I saw on Twitter over the weekends, a, a young girl who was really excited. She had just got a new job as the pandemic started. Her first day 
at the new job would have been the Monday after we went into the first lockdown. So they set her up remotely to work from home. So she's never been into her place of work. She said, you know, for example, I don't know where the toilets are. I don't know where the canteen is. She was just saying, you know, how nervous and excited she was. And she sort of said it was it reminded her of that feeling. If you can remember when you went from primary school into secondary school, you kind of knew what was going to be happening, but still everything was going to be new. And she said she that's the kind of feeling uh, that she had. So, as I say, we're wishing luck to everybody who those who are heading back to the office today are across someday this week. And there will be others who will be absolutely allergic to the fact that they have to return to the office. Many people have loved the idea of working from home. People who've been forced to, say, commute in the past and back doing long commutes, suddenly they're back with all of that uh, again. So there there will be people who, who just really don't like the idea of going back to the office. So I imagine there's going to be a lot of discussions and negotiations and meetings held between employers and employees in the coming months as we head towards what probably will be blended blended working, people doing a couple of days in the office and a couple of days of, at home. But of course, again, it is going to be totally and completely up to individual employers and employees to decide what way it is going to uh, go. And the reason that we're entering into this new phase of easing of restrictions is because we here in Ireland now, we have the highest rate of COVID-19 vaccination uptake across the European Union. Paul Reid of the HSC uh, yesterday, you could sense from his Twitter account that he was bursting with excitement to share it with one and all that more than 90% of the people now aged over the age of 16 are now fully vaccinated. He said on Twitter yesterday that younger people have influenced and shaped this country for the better on so many occasions, he said, over the past few years. And he said they've managed to do it all over again now over 90% of those aged over 16 fully vaccinated highest uptake in the EU he said it is truly remarkable and it is truly inspirational and Professor Brian McGrath who's head of the vaccine rollout programme he said that around 93% of people over the age of 18 had received at least one dose of the vaccine and he added that a great response from young people has led to another major milestone in the vaccine rollout and it is the reason we are able to continue to ease restrictions. Now the vaccine vaccine update that was coming yesterday of course we're still seeing cases but you can already start to see the case numbers are dropping. Yesterday for example we were at 1,224 it appears now that this wave has peaked and we're slowly, slowly, slowly starting to come down and the figure that I'm always watching are the figures that are in hospital. You again can see the numbers in hospital thankfully are starting to uh, fall up to 8am. Yesterday it was 270 eight people were in hospital worrying to see the numbers though in intensive care because they are the very very sickest and 63 people as of yesterday were in in uh, intensive care and then I was reading in the Irish Mail on Sunday at the weekend they were speaking with a leading expert on vaccines who was reporting the fact that 22 million vaccines have already been ordered for Ireland and people are taking from that 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 means that the booster jab campaign is now 
highly likely to be rolled out to most of the general population because that's a huge amount of vaccines considering so many people are already fully uh, vaccinated. Now, NIAC at the moment they're only advising booster vaccines for those aged over 80 are those who are aged 65 and over and living in nursing homes or long-term residential care. However, the European Commission, they have advanced purchase agreement for 1.8 billion. These are additional Pfizer uh, jabs and also they have a separate agreement with uh, Novavax for these additional doses. And a source speaking to the Irish Mail on Sunday yesterday said that agreements guaranteed Ireland now would receive 22 million doses in total. Now, the World Health Organization, they have for many, many months been in favour of ensuring that all those in poorer countries are vaccinated before rolling out this wide-scale booster campaign. And then the, the, the quote in the paper yesterday is from Professor Lee Fanning. He's with the he's here with in UCC. He's an immunologist in UCC. He said that the volume of vaccines, that the fact that we know there's 22 million vaccines coming into this country, he said that would suggest that that is for a booster campaign. What else would it be for? But he has a theory that NIAC may be hesitant to recommend going forward with that booster vaccine for the entire population, given what the World Health Organization and their standpoint and the World Health Organization only last week, our own Mike Ryan, a wonderful Irish man who works with the World Health Organization, you know, he was talking about it as well. And he said, you know, it would be shocking to see very wealthy countries like ourselves here. We would be deemed a wealthy country compared to third world countries. He said it would be shocking if we were rolling out a booster shot to basically healthy people while we've got people in third world countries. We've got doctors and nurses and healthcare staff in third world countries who haven't even see, received a first uh, dose. So could it be that NIAC are holding back on giving the boosters? So as I say, it's a very small cohort of people who they will initially roll out the boosters to. I know over in the UK they've started the boosters. I don't know, I don't know if it's to the wider population. They're certainly starting it to the older generation. I saw the lovely uh, Joan Collins, you know, the actor, actress who's, she's well in her 80s now, isn't she? She was getting two jabs <laughs> yesterday. There was a jab going into each arm. One was the booster for the COVID and the other was her flu jab. So that's what they're doing in the UK. But that's the at-risk and the vulnerable group. I don't know if they're coming down the age groups uh, yet. So only time will tell. But certainly if NIAC do decide to say yes we need everybody every adult, everybody over the age of of, uh, 16 to get a booster jab or they'll start giving booster jabs I imagine to people who are six months plus since they received their second vaccine but it looks like the vaccine certainly will be available if and when they make that decision. 1850-333-103 Bernie's taking your calls this morning you can text her WhatsApp 0862-103-103 I was talking about we are best in the class when it comes to the highest rate of COVID-19 vaccination update across the European Union Paul Reid tweeting about this yesterday 90% over the age of 16 are now fully vaccinated John from Roscommon says Morning Patricia I'm really confused 90% of the people in Ireland is vaccinated 
over the age of 16. If that be the case, how in God's name are 1,500 cases? Where are they coming from? I'll tell you where they're coming from. They're coming in the main from children, unfortunately. It, well, if you look at it, okay, if um, 90% of the population over the age of 16 are fully vaccinated, that means 10% of the population have opted either not to get vaccinated or for whatever reason can't get uh, vaccinated. So, uh, there are, they reckon there is a million children living in this country. So if 90% of the 4 million over the age of 16 are vaccinated, that leaves the 400,000 who are not vaccinated. So it's that out of that 400,000 people are picking up COVID-19. And then, of course, you add to that the 1 million children. There are certainly... And I don't know whether it's anecdotal or not, but I'm hearing from friends of mine and family members. There seems to be a number of children getting COVID-19, which is then leading to children being identified as close contacts because they're in the pod. Children have to be sent home. Now, when the children are sent home, they get tested. They're not all testing positive. So it doesn't seem to be very, doesn't seem to be passing through the pods in school, which certainly is a good news. But that's where, that's where they're coming from. There are breakthrough cases, of course. There are people who are fully vaccinated who get identified as close contact, maybe go forward for a test and they turn out to be positive, even though they've little or no symptoms. And of course, that's what the vaccine does. It stops you getting very sick and stops you ending up in hospital. But there are still, of the 5 million people in this country, we can take it, there is about 1.4 million if you take all of the children under 12 and if you take the 10% of, say, 4 million people who haven't been vaccinated, there's about 1.4 million who have yet to be uh, vaccinated. Thank you for your text, uh, John, and hope you're keeping well. And hi, Patricia. Today, you've mentioned a lot of office workers returning to the workplace. I heard that the employer cannot ask staff if they're vaccinated as it's private medical information. However, I work for the HSC. And how come, if you're off sick, the doctor will write a vague area of illness on your cert? If you take a day's sick... You have to complete a form to say you're fit to return to work. And that asks you about being off. Also, you have to have a meeting with your line manager after a period of an illness, which would be impossible to avoid telling them what was wrong with you. So is that not all private medical information? I remember when doctors' certs used to state that the person was sick and off and not give any reason. It's confusing that employers can't ask if you're vaccinated or not. And I don't know if it's to do with one of the reasons that they can't ask, as you say, it's because it's private medical information. It's all to do with GDPR and it's all to do with if an employer asks staff uh, if they're fully vaccinated or not before returning to the workplace, it can leave the employer open to discrimination. Now, I know in other countries it's very different. For example, Facebook and Google were one of the first in during the summertime to come out and confirm that all of their staff in the United States would have to be fully vaccinated against COVID-19 or they wouldn't be allowed uh, to return to the uh, office. But there, it's still... There is a sense, I think, and a feeling for a lot of employers that they're all a little bit in the dark about all of this because everybody seems to, every lawyer, every employment lawyer seems to have a kind of a different take on it. But certainly there's a nervousness amongst employers to ask a staff member if they're vaccinated or not. Because of that, they could be open to discrimination. But it's to do with GDPR. And I don't know, uh, text or there's no name in that text, if it's to do with the, the sharing of private medical information or not. It's uh, uh, more to do with that they could be open to discrimination. 1850 333 103. Bernie's taking your calls. You can text or WhatsApp to 0862 103. 
103 103. Record today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 1850 333 103. There are fears that funding for vital upgrades to the N73, which stretches from Mallow to Mitchellstown, may be lost as a result of Budget 2022. Raising his concerns, Cork East Labour Doll Deputy uh, Sean Sherlock, who joins me. Good morning to you, Sean. Good morning, Patricia. And you're welcome to uh, the programme. Now, for people not familiar with this road, uh, Sean, can you outline the current problems with it and the conditions of part of it? Well, the the part of Cork that it's in is is quite literally the the road between Mallow and Mitchellstown. So anybody who would be living west of Mallow would have used it uh, extensively, possibly to get to Dublin. But it also is a road that is characterised by uh, many heavy goods vehicles using it every day, uh, either allied to the agriculture sector. Uh, there's lots of uh, what I call residential traffic to and, and from between Mitchelton and Mallow for work and other purposes. Uh, and, and there would be what you'd call the day-to-day agricultural traffic. The stretch that is that we're talking about here is the stretch uh, that is between what we call Clotter Cross and Canteen Cross. It's approximately three kilometres, give or take. There are other stretches as well uh, that that are quite poor. But the, the concern that I'm uh, addressing today is the, is the fact that there was a budget line of approximately 10 million euros for approximately three kilometres of road between that stretch that I'm talking about, which TII, Transport Infrastructure Ireland, which used to be the NRA, and Cork County Council, in fairness to Cork County Council, has progressed so that it is now ready to go to tender stage to get that stretch of road done. That's the stretch of road, for instance, where two heavy goods vehicles literally have to slow down to a stop at times. And where and is that? That's the famous stretch where they keep losing wing mirrors. They keep losing wing mirrors. Yeah. The verge is literally out onto the road. Uh, and what happens is that, you know, we've witnessed it because we've all been behind these lorries where quite literally they have to negotiate the road. For the national secondary road, right, to have that kind of a dynamic happening to it in this day and age is, is absolutely, you know, r- ridiculous. That's why I, I got some inkling, uh, you know, a little bit of time ago, because we've been working on this now for months and months, just upping the ante in terms of trying to bring pressure to bear, uh, that in the attempt to what they call reprofile spending on roads, in other words, reprofiling is another euphemistic term that's used by the civil servants and sometimes politicians to say that we're going to give a, or effect a cutback, uh, that this road could be on the list or to not progress to the next stage, to go to tender to actually get the road done in favour of other projects throughout the country. So that's why I, I've been upping the ante in the last few months and I've been on to ministers like Hildegard Nocton, who's in the Department of Transport, and Damon Ryan and Michael McGrath, and even the Secretary General of the Department of Transport, and even the Taoiseach. So I suppose what I'm, I suppose this is, you know, regardless of who claims credit for it when it's done ultimately, because I'm hopeful that it will be, there is a danger as we go into the budgetary process, there is a process called the estimates process where they agree the budget for each line department, where the Department of Transport gets into a room with the Department of Public Expenditure and Reform and they negotiate the budget for the Department of Transport for the year ahead. And if projects are taken off the, the, the table uh you know, in, in budget cuts, the fear is that this is going to be one of those projects from what I'm hearing from the various sources that you would have built up throughout the years of being a, a public representative. That's why I'm hoping that Fine Gael councillors, 
Fianna Fáil councillors in particular, Green councillors in particular, would look at this from a road safety point of view, uh, that they would get in the ears of their uh, respective counterparts in government, Fianna Fáil TDs, Fianna Fáil t- uh, Fianna Gael TDs and Green TDs, and, and, and just lobby as much as possible to try and make sure that this because, doesn't fall because off the I, agenda. I, yeah, because I take it everyone accepts, Sean, this is going to be a tricky budget. I think it's going to be a tricky budget, but we don't know for sure just how tricky it is yet because very often what happens is when you're roughly three weeks out from a budget, uh, you you have an idea that there are going to be cutbacks, but you don't know for sure where the, the lines are emerging because line ministers are always, uh, say if you're Department of uh, Transport, if you're Social Protection, if you're Defence, you're still involved in that toing and froing even at this late stage with the Department of Public Expenditure and Reform. And that's why I contacted uh, Minister Michael McGrath on this, and to be fair, he did get back to me on it, uh, to say, look, please, Minister, please, if you if the Department of Transport comes into you to say that they're going to cut back road projects, will you please have regard to the fact that this is a Cork project and you've probably travelled the road yourself and you just you know how bad the road is. Can you please ensure that that any attempts to cut the budget you know would be uh, would would be stopped and that this is a that this should be a priority for you as minister hopefully you know yeah because yeah, I mean there's obviously lots now in the papers a lot of kite flying about the budget and, and what's what's going to be in it and what's not going to be in it but you know I was reading the the this morning that the government are able to access this EU Brexit Adjustment Fund I think it's to the tune of 1.1 billion and that obviously is going to give flexibility around the estimates for each department that's right. I, I mean, I'm uh, I'm agriculture spokesperson and I'm social protection spokesperson. So I'll be watching those two very closely. And, uh, you know, for a region like North and East and even West Cork, where agriculture, uh, you know, ties into the fabric, whether you're living in a, you know, a town like Mallow or Mitchellstown, or whether you're living in a, a rural hamlet, uh, you know, like Bally de Hub, agriculture is key to you know, the survival of a town or, or villages in, in our area. And so you're watching those budget lines. But as you're right, there's a lot of flight, uh, kite flying at the moment. And we don't know for sure until we get down into the, the last 48 hours or 24 hours where the trends are going to emerge in relation to budget cuts. But you'd be hoping that from the social protection side that there will be at least a maintenance uh, and no cutting back in relation to, uh, you know, what, what I call payments that keep, people from falling through the cracks, uh, particularly at such vulnerable times, because we don't know where the economy is going to go, uh, you know, within the next 12 months or so. So we'll we'll all wait with uh, interest. All right. Mary and Colin travelled, travels that road uh, or had to travel that road twice last week. On one occasion, two lorries who simply couldn't pass each other. Uh, The road was so narrow. They both ended up having to pull in their wing mirrors just to try to make a bit of space in order to pass. Mary, in the end, was getting delayed so much that she detoured uh, to Shambally Moor instead. That road was never designed for the traffic that's uh, on it. Okay, so it is very much a case of watch this space and we will watch it closely, uh, Sean. And just while we have you on the line, because I know I saw your name on a list of people that was invited to this meeting uh, tonight on the Friends of Onakara Centre. We're going to be speaking with some of them later on on the programme. What's your feeling on the proposed closure of this uh, service in East Cork? I think the Friends of Onakara Centre deserve our support. They deserve the support of all TDs and public representatives in the Cork East region. I spoke to uh, Mary Butler, the Minister, Minister Mary Butler, last week on this. 
I've also spoken to senior HSE officials. I've expressed my concerns that the process that's underway at the moment is not robust enough such that uh, residents and families of residents uh, feel that they're part of, are being engaged with. And while we have sight of the uh, report from the Mental Health Commission, I'm not convinced that closure is the best way forward, uh, certainly at this point in time, because I don't feel as if uh, the families have been engaged with or that the case stacks up. So I've been asking for, I've asked the minister, I said, please don't shut it down. You know, please uh, allow for a break to be put on this until such time as there's proper engagement. And a lot of people consider this to be their home and are very happy there. Uh, And if there are structural issues that need to be addressed, then, uh, and if they are serious structural issues, then we have to take account of those as well. But I'm not convinced that sufficient account has been taken of those issues in terms of putting a budget behind maybe, uh, you know, fixing the building or whatever needs to be done. And I think that's a discussion that needs to happen uh, more thoroughly. But right now, I do believe that the Friends of Owner Colour deserve our support uh, because I do believe that they're coming from a very genuine place and they're very well, concerned yeah, about I mean, the they're, And they're fighting on behalf of their residents and some of the, so their family members who are very, very uh, vulnerable. And this has been their home. It's, it's such a difficult, difficult situation. OK, listen, we've got to leave it there, Sean. Thank you for that. And uh, thanks for joining us on the moment. That is Cork East uh, Doll Deputy uh, Sean Sherlock. Uh, Denise says, uh, hi, Patricia. It's Denise in West Cork. In relation to your piece on narrow roads, another dangerous route which is used by many HGV vehicles is from Crookstown to Dumanway. Many times I've rounded a corner to be faced with a massive truck barely on its own side of the road. Also, many times traffic simply grinds to a halt while two trucks are trying to manoeuvre past each other. My question, says Denise, in West Cork why are these huge arctics allowed on this uh, route uh, and uh, I'd, have they no other way of getting there's no alternative route I mean that's the one thing with the, the road we've just been discussing between Mallow and Mitchellstown and the truck drivers that have to negotiate that particular stretch of road on a daily basis it isn't that they have an alternative that they can use instead and Heidi says morning Patricia uh, hearing it said about the hedges and ditches and on the road side being overgrown in Mallow well down here in Bantry Skibbereen area the hedges in some parts and some of the tree branches are meeting in the middle of the road I was I was hearing it's down to the farmers to cut and keep the road sides in good order. That said, it really should be road engineers doing the inspections of these roads to make sure that they have been maintained. 1850-333-103. Bernie's taking your calls. You can text her WhatsApp 0862-103-103. Court today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 0862-103-103. Now, as we've been hearing on the news with Barry this morning, the next census is due to take place on the night of April the 3rd next year and the Central Statistics Office who run the census are currently looking for field supervisors in Cork City and County. To find out more I'm joined by Eileen Murphy who is Head of Census Administration. Good morning to you Eileen. Morning Patricia, and lovely to talk to you. Well lovely to talk to you as well. Can you outline what is the role of a census field supervisor? Okay, so uh, the supervisors are home-based and they're responsible for managing a team of census enumerators. 
Um, so they'll be interviewing, training and generally supervising and managing that team of enumerators, approximately 10 to 13 enumerators during the live field operation of the census next year. So the live operation is sort of five weeks before census night and five weeks after census night. And the enumerators are the people, the lovely, friendly, kind people who call to our doors and say, there's your census form. They are indeed. Okay. Now, ideally, would the field supervisor live locally in the locality? Yes, and that's why we're we're putting out this call. We've we've had a number of applications from people. We had the competition open last week, but uh, we're not covered in all the areas that we need people because we want people to be locally based and close to home and to know their areas. Okay, and they will receive full training, obviously. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, they, we train them in all aspects of the post and they'll be supported by their regional supervisors, uh, obviously by their, their um, the other field supervisors in their area and then uh, by Census HQ. OK, but as you said at the outset, this is home-based work. You won't be going uh, outdoor to door to the people's houses. No. Uh, obviously, you're managing your team, so you will have to meet with your enumerators and supervise some of their work. Okay, and what's the length of the contract? So the contract starts in January uh, and it's a five-month contract from January till May. Uh, And we're looking for, we have 31 positions in Cork County and we have 18 positions in the city. And when do you start looking for the census enumerators themselves? Have Have you put a shout out for them? We will be looking for those uh, in November, the 25th of November is when we'll be opening the competition for the enumerators themselves. But for the field supervisors, we have a very short window at this stage. The competition closes tomorrow at two o'clock. So uh, if anyone is interested, don't delay. Please go on to our website, which is censusrecruitment.cso.ie and there's information booklets there with all the details of the role and the requirements um, and contact email addresses and phone numbers if anyone has any further queries. Do you need any specific skills, Eileen, for it? I mean, computer skills would be an obvious one, would it? Yeah, well, we're looking for people who have team management experience okay. and who are used to uh, tr- uh, managing teams uh, where they have good communication and people skills and obviously computer literate. Somebody wants to know, c- could somebody who's retired apply? Absolutely, Re- absolutely. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. There's no age, yeah, you, you don't have an age, upper or lower age limit on it. Nope, no, we don't. No. Uh, lower age limit of 18. Okay, okay, all right. So this is probably the most exciting time, is it, for the, for the Central Statistics Office, the census? This is your, your big job. Well, every, everything's ramping up at the moment. Uh, we work, the, the, normally there's five years between each census cycle. Um, obviously, because of COVID, we, we got delayed a year, but we've had to put in new processes and systems to, to, to take care of that. And obviously, we'll be abiding by all the public health guidelines that are in place at the time. Um, so uh, the HQ have been working hard on this for a number of years, but when we start uh, recruiting the, the field staff, that's when everything sort of starts ramping up uh, to, to really feel we're, get, we're getting close to the census. Are the actual census forms ready to go out? They are. They're, they're all they're printed, printed and ready yeah. to go. Yeah. Yeah. Is there any new questions this time around? There are new questions. Um, yes, we've got questions on um, new questions on childcare, um, on renewable energy, on heating, smoking, smoke alarms, volunteering, 
home working <laughs> citizenship. Oh, that, the, the, uh, so there's some new, totally new questions and some changes to questions that good, were there before. Good. Okay. So once again, how can people apply with the, the email address? Yep. Uh, if they go online, you can only apply online and the, the address is censusrecruitment.cso. Okay, but it's important and closing day. Two o'clock tomorrow. <laughs> two, o- two o'clock tomorrow. Okay, and yeah. someone says, "Is it a paid job?" It is. It's a fully paid job. Oh yes, it's a full time job for the full- five months. Okay. Uh, it's five hundred and sixty four a week plus allowances. Okay. Good luck with the dialing, and we'll we'll speak again. But in the meantime, thank you for that, and thanks for joining us on the program. Thanks very much, Patricia. Good morning to you. Bye-bye. That is Eileen Murphy, who is with the Central Statistics Office. Bernie's taking your calls. 1850-333-103. You can text our WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. Martin in Mitchestan says, when he was a young fella, the local county council workers used to cut back the dikes and the hedges by hand. They would use slash hooks. They would use hand saws and size. Now they've got all sorts of machineries, machinery available, and they still don't be able to, they still don't seem to be able to do the job uh, correctly. While John in Donorell says that the Donorell Road near Hurleyhees uh, pub, he uses that all the time. The hedges haven't been cut there, he reckons, for years. Traffic has to go into the middle of the road because the hedges have grown out so much. Many farmers don't know that the responsibility lies with them as they haven't been informed by the council. The only thing cutting the hedges are the large trucks as they pass by, says John in uh, Donnerwell. 1850 We're going to take a break. We've got news at 11. We'll be hearing teachers' reaction uh, to the news of Tony Hulhan last week saying that school pupils may not need to stay out of school if they've been deemed a close contact. Can we help out one of our West Cork listeners, Skibbereen listeners, so the general Skibbereen area, please. Hi, Patricia. Peppermint Cordial is no longer available in the supermarkets in Skibbereen, Clonakilty. I can get all of the other cordials like orange, lime, lemon, raspberry, blackcurrant. But what has happened to Peppermint Cordial, says our Skibbereen listener. Does any listener know uh, where I can purchase Peppermint Cordial, please, anywhere in the West Cork area? It's ideal for hiccups or tummy upset. Do you know something? I don't know if Peppermint Cordial is something I've ever purchased in my life or something I I've even ever tasted. I like the taste of peppermint, so I imagine I would like peppermint cordial. So, does anybody know it was why? I don't know if it was widely available, but it certainly was available, according to this Skibbereen listener. But has noticed of late, cannot get it. Tried everyone Skibbereen, Clonakilty, but is willing to travel anywhere around the West Cork area. Has, has anybody spotted it when they're out shopping? Skibbereen cordial. Or peppermint cordial, or have you purchased it recently? If so, can you let us know? 1850-333-103. We were talking about narrow roads and roads that need work done in the last hour. Hi Patricia, just to comment on narrow roads and having large vehicles on them. I'm very familiar with the road that you spoke about, the N73 and the fact that we are lucky that there hasn't been an accident on that road, thank God. But another road that I have to travel on is the N522. Now where's the N522 you may ask? It is the Link Road between the N73 and Donnerill are Butterfront and on into Charleville. 
it is so busy with articulated trucks it can be terrifying at times I've had so many near misses says Mary these trucks are cutting their journey cross country as they come off the Limerick Cork Road and instead of travelling to Mallow and on into Mitchellstown they take this road instead it's a very narrow road which is used by school buses daily it is a very sharp bend and a narrow bridge it's frightening how many lorries I meet on that road kind regards says uh, Marion you know, we've, whenever we're talking about conditions of roads and describing scenes like that, you know, we always talk about a lot of our rural country roads were never, ever designed to have large articulated lorries on them. And certainly they were never designed to have articulated lorries, one going one way, one going the other way, and they needed to pass. You know, many of those roads were designed in an era where there was a, a horse and trap on it and, and you know, that... That's what they were designed for. So we do have a problem, particularly in parts of rural areas, uh, for sure. 1850-333-103. I mentioned, and we're going to be talking with uh, John Green. He's going to join us after 12 uh, today to talk about an incident that happened to him while he was on air here doing the programme on Friday. His bank luckily made contact uh, with him, but it looked like that he was somewhere his bank account had been hacked so he'll tell us more uh, about that after 12 today but that's prompted the listener to say I wonder if John Green is banking with Bank of Ireland I don't know and I don't know if he's, he's going to say which bank he's with but anyway this listener has reason to mention Bank of Ireland a 45 euro purchase went through on my account recently Bank of Ireland contacted me within minutes I hadn't made the purchase so it never went through they stopped it but my daughter and my granddaughter both of their accounts hacked in the last three years. They contacted them promptly, but they were able to, they were able to make contact with my granddaughter, work out, no, never made that purchase and they were able to sort it out. But they weren't able to get in contact with my daughter as she wasn't available to take their call. They cancelled the card just to be on the safe side. Yeah, listen, banks are doing their very best with the scam artists that hack an account. They really do try and sort it out and you leave a notice now if you're purchasing anything online there'll be an extra verification they'll send something to your mobile phone number just to make sure because banks are very aware that there's so many scam artists um, out there so I, I am interested in speaking with um John Green, as I say, that would be after uh, 12 o'clock today because somebody else, when I mentioned it, Mike in Bantry says, uh, Patricia, I got a message on my phone uh, last night f- uh, saying there was something wrong with my Bank of Ireland account. The only problem is I don't have a Bank of Ireland account. So I knew immediately that it was a scam. Thank you for that. Talking about the vaccination of children, John says, Patricia, I think every child or college student should have been vaccinated before they went back to school or college and we should have legislated it. Well, listen, we don't force anybody in this country to have a vaccine and I can never see us going down that route. And really, when you look at the piece I mentioned earlier that we're top of the class when it comes to European countries, we have the highest level of vaccination and we did that by opening up vaccination centres and offering vaccines to people. We didn't have to put any sort of an incentive. We saw other countries putting incentives and we're also seeing other countries struggling because there's vaccine hesitancy and because of that they are remaining in lockdown. So thankfully we've never had to go down the route of forcing anyone. But on the point of every child and college student 
should be vaccinated. A lot of the college students are vaccinated because the over 16, so a lot in secondary school will be vaccinated as well. And we also have the 12 to 15 year olds, high number of them will be vaccinated. But remember, you, you when you say every child should be vaccinated, we they haven't approved vaccination for the under 12 year olds. So what would you do with the primary uh, school children? And that's where there seems to be an I don't know if there's a number of outbreaks in schools, but there certainly are cases amongst children. Some of the schools are saying that it's happening outside the school because even though the pod has to go home and it was a 12,000 students between primary, secondary and creches were at home restricting their movements. But it isn't, there doesn't seem to be a high number of cases out of the people that are restricting their movements. They get the test and it's negative, but they still have to uh, remain at home. Back to roads. Hi, uh, Patricia. Has anybody travelled through Kilbrin lately? It's like Cheltenham (laughs) with the new ramps on the other end of the village. It's an absolute disgrace. There's also an uneven surface on it, says this particular listener in Kilbrin. If anybody has noticed uh, that, eighteen fifty three 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 one zero three. Bernie's taking your calls. You can text. You can WhatsApp to oh eight six two one zero three one zero three. C one zero three jobs. Food catering assistant is required. It's for a catering company on the Monaghan Road. You need to email, email info at elitecuisine.ie. Allied Profiles there in Mallow. They're looking for a machine operator slash general operative. You info Allied Profiles. Info at alliedprofiles.com. Apprentice hairdresser wants us for abandoned salon. CVs please to signature hair design at outlook.com. And a mechanic slash service technician is wanted to work in the Cork area. Email CVs to John Paul Construction Limited at gmail.com. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 1850-333-103. Now, according to the Chief Medical Officer, Tony Houlihan, within two weeks, children may be able to stay in school even if they've been deemed a close contact of a confirmed COVID-19 case to see how teachers are reacting to this. I'm joined by Eamon Dennehy, who is the president of the Association of Secondary School Teachers in Ireland, the ASTI. Good morning to you, Eamon. Morning, Patricia. Uh, you're, you're welcome to the programme. Now, we've been hearing of up to 12,000 pupils now. I know it's across all of the education uh, system who were restricting their movements last week because they've been identified as a close contact. Do you welcome this move to only limit it to children who have symptoms? Well, it's our, our position is always one of uh, extreme caution, really, because I think we have seen that the uh, education system is uh, a very fragile thing in the in the face of this uh, pandemic. So, uh, we would be cautious about it. I, I wasn't aware of any. There are no uh, changes yet, and I think, and I think that's very wise that any changes will be contingent on there not being a, a serious deterioration of. Uh, of the situation. So I think uh, that's probably the uh, sensible place to be. Of course, if things uh, improve a lot and, uh, you know, and the medical people, the the public health people tell us that it's safe to proceed, 
we'll be we'll be willing to do that. Of course. Yeah, because I know Neffet last week, you know, were pains to point out that there is no significant incident of COVID-19 in school transmission. And I'm wondering, is that partially down to the fact that you sent home all the pupils who were close contacts? Well, I don't know. I never even uh, considered that. That is quite possible. It's also possible and it has been the case and it's acknowledged now that the way the, the COVID has been handled in schools was extremely effective. That That is a fact at this stage. And uh, huge efforts have been made. So... We would be concerned about any, you know, we we, we want to proceed very cautiously here with regard to any changes because, as I said, uh, we have experience of how easy it is for the, the virus to, you know, actually close schools down, which yeah. is pretty, pretty uh, detrimental to young people. So we're trying to avoid that as best we can. Are many schools, Eamon, still waiting on the carbon dioxide monitors or have they all been delivered? There are, no, they haven't been delivered. And uh, well, I think it's 10,000 of them haven't been delivered. And we are very concerned about that. It's it's to do with the manufacturer, in fairness. It's it's about the supply chain and all that. But at the same time, we would really appreciate having those in our schools because, uh, and I'm no expert, but I'd I'd imagine knowing that... uh, the, the, the you know the CO2 levels in your room are low and all that would be a source of comfort to teachers and students uh, alike uh, to know that they're in a, a reasonably safe uh, environment. Well, it means the room is well ventilated. And I know exactly. we had an expert on a number of months ago who had actually done his own experiments on it and he proved how worthwhile these these carbon monoxide, yeah. carbon dioxide monitors uh, are. But... Eamon, as we head into colder weather, exactly. will adequate ventilation prove to be a problem for schools? Well, it, it might do, you see, because, uh, and especially, I suppose we'd be concerned as well about having, we'll say, huge uh, ventilation when it might not be needed. And if you had your monitors there, uh, it would help. You know, opening all the windows on, the, on a, you know, a, a frosty morning isn't very nice for the neither the the teacher nor the students and they're sitting there motionless as well. So it's it's very difficult when you're just sitting down, uh, you know, with your overcoat on you and what have you and a mask. So we're trying to you know, that's not very comfortable. So the, the, the monitors might help there mm-hmm. with regard to, you know, only doing as much uh ventilation as is really necessary. Okay, a listener is asking about vaccinated pupils. Obviously, you represent secondary school teachers. So a number of the pupils would be at this stage fully vaccinated. We know there was a a very high uptake in over 16s and in the 12 to 15s. Are there different rules for fully vaccinated pupils if they get identified as a close contact? Their their rules are are, uh, 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 pretty uh, similar to those of of, uh, an adult. Uh, I don't think they have to... uh, they have to be excluded from the school. They can uh, stay on. They, yeah. they can stay on. They, 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 they don't have to. And in fairness, uh, rather than give that as a, a kind of a general uh, answer on my part, and, and again, this is very sensible, uh, school authorities are re- uh, requested and uh, required, perhaps, to uh, contact the health of uh, public health on that and get, you know, detailed uh, advice on uh, who is a... Uh, close, close contact, contact etc. Et and uh, again, that's another, along with the monitors, that's another uh, very important uh, facility for schools. That is the the advice that can come from public health to the principal or whoever is deemed to be in charge of of that safety uh, safety rule in the school. So um, 
we we would be anxious that uh, you know the, those two things, the monitors and uh, advice uh, helplines, are all open and available and quickly. Yeah, I, I, remember, I read in the paper, was the last week, the week before, there was some problems with schools trying to get through to the helpline. Like, was, yes. the, was the helpline closing at half four or something, which didn't make any sense? Yeah, well, again, I don't have huge details in that, but it's, we certainly did uh, make representations with regard to that. And uh, I hope now that that, that has improved. I, I believe it may have done, and I hope so, because it's, a, it's an absolute, uh, the essential part of the safety measures in the school to have good, sensible advice. And of course, as well, we don't want to be uh, excluding people either or uh, mm. telling people to go home if there is no uh, solid safety reason for that. Yeah, and schools shouldn't be the ones following up on contact tracing or informing parents. Absolutely not. You know, no, they, have, they have enough, they have to, be enough to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. And, and it is usually the principal who's in these uh, difficult times and they have been tested to the pin of their father in fairness. Mm. Just on, while I have you on the line, what did you make of the OECD report? Ireland, uh, which shows Ireland in last place out of 36 countries when it comes to investment in education. Yeah, oh, well, that's it, a it, shocking indictment. It, it is, it, but it, it confirms what we, what we believed all along. Certainly the ASTI would always have contended that, you know, we don't spend enough on our young people in this country. But at, having said that, we perform very well. For example, uh, the, the, the what do we call them? The markers or the indicators about fairness and equality are very high in our schools, and uh, that, that's very important. For example, socioeconomic uh, disadvantage or being for, uh, foreign-born in this country is not a, a as big a disadvantage as it is in uh, your average OECD country, and I think we can be very proud of that. Mm. Absolutely. And uh, I, th- I think that is actually down to, you know, the quality of the people that we employ to teach our children, because they, they obviously give very good example and are, are committed to equality themselves. OK, listen, we leave it there, Eamon. Listen, thank you for that. appreciate you taking our you. call. Thanks thank for joining you. us. That is right. Eamon Dennehy, who is the president of the ASTI. But at the moment, the it remains in place if your child, this is for children who are not vaccinated, if your child is deemed a close contact, if somebody in the little pod or the bubble gets COVID-19 then everybody else in that pod or bubble will get that text and I was hearing of people getting the dreaded text at the weekend to say that your child must restrict their movement for 10 days which means that they're out of school and then they need to go forward for two tests they go initially for a test and then they've got to go forward for a second test on a day at 10 but it, it is certainly causing problems for parents of younger children who would have to remain at home with the uh, child as I say Tony Houlihan floated the idea but it will be another two weeks before a decision will be made on whether close contacts can remain in school and it will all depend on if the numbers of COVID positive cases keep falling then I think they possibly will go down that route of allowing close contacts to remain in school unless they show symptoms. I'm interested in parents thoughts on that. Would you prefer that system that you would only take your child out of school or take your child for testing if they presented with symptoms 
are are you happy with the way are you feeling safer more secure in allowing your child to go to school knowing that if there's a case in the classroom then all of that child's close contacts will be sent home for 10 days your thoughts are welcomed 1850 and just um, and I should have started the programme my apologies on this because I meant to mention uh, these uh, young lads it was a terrific news story two Cork teenagers have won the first prize at the International Young Scientists uh, competition. Um, Cormac Hayes and Alan O'Sullivan, they won the EU contest for young scientists after observing that more boys than girls sit physics in the Leaving Search. Now both Cormac and Alan were aged 16 at the time. They decided to study the issue of gender stereotyping in young children and they put their project together and they won the 2020 BT Young Scientists and Technology Exhibition. Their their project, uh, a statistical investigation into the prevalence of gender stereotyping in five to seven-year-olds and the development of uh, an initiative to combat gender bias. And uh, that that was the award. It, it that was their project. It, it eventually, it first of all won our own young scientist exhibition. Of course, by winning that, then they were allowed to go on to the European one. But they've co- walked away with the top prize. Now, both Cormac and Adam, they're both eighteen now. They hope teachers will use a resource kit that they've developed to help counter the effects of gender stereotyping, and just to get people talking about it all. They're both pupils of Colosh de Column in uh, Carrigaline. They do get a cash prize. I don't know how much the cash prize is, but they get a cash prize. But they say the most important aspect of winning the competition, uh, they believe, is the exposure to what they see is a very, very uh, important uh, subject. Um, Young scientists aged 14 to 20 representing 39 different countries from all across Europe and the world took part in that competition. But it was Cormac and Alan who came out on top. They're both, by the way, doing their leaving search because, as I say, it was two years ago and they put the project uh, together. So they say celebrations for their latest triumph was expected to be low-key because they have school in the morning. <laughs> that they're studying for the Leaving Cert. So well done to them. And Kalosh, the column in Carrigaline can be very, very proud of Cormac Harris and Alan O'Sullivan. And then last year's Young Scientist of the Year Award was also another young uh, Cork uh, lad. Do I have his name? I know I had it somewhere. Um, he won and he's he because he picked up third uh, prize. Gregory, sorry. Uh, Gregory Tarr, he was the winner of the BT Young Scientist exhibition for this year. So his competition went forward. Obviously, because of COVID, they mustn't have had a European competition last year. So it was kind of two years uh, together. And uh, he picked up the third prize. So we've done extremely well. We always do really well in though that Young Scientist competition when we go on to Europe. I mean, I've lost count of the number of times an, I- an Irish pupil or pupils have walked away with that top prize so we can be very proud of our school children and very proud of the teachers that teach them as well 1850 333 103 and a listener has contacted doesn't want their name called out on this but I'm going to give a shout out to this email and again your thoughts and comments welcomed and is this happening in many other areas good morning chair I was away for the weekend in the Listunvarna area and we called into an establishment for a little bit of dancing to my shock and horror 
I wasn't asked for my COVID certificate. We would have stayed there all day, but I actually ended up feeling very uncomfortable and I was afraid that we would pick up COVID in case there were people in the room dancing who hadn't had their vaccination. We then went on to a restaurant for a bite to eat before we headed home. When we went to go into the restaurant, we had to produce our COVID certificate. Why is this the case that we could go into one venue and dance the day away and not be checked for our COVID certificate, yet we couldn't go in and have a bite to eat without producing our certificate? To me, this is totally unfair. If people knew that everyone had been checked and if they knew that everybody inside in the premises was totally vaccinated, surely people will be much happier and would stay uh, longer. To me, this is discrimination. Can you follow up on this, uh, please? Yeah, I mean, I know when I was in Dublin picking up the award last Wednesday, we were checked for our, we went in firstly because we arrived early in the morning, we were on an early train and we arrived at the hotel actually where the awards was on and we said we'd go in for a cup of coffee because we'd about an hour before the awards was starting and we went into like the restaurant in the hotel where they were actually serving breakfast to the residents and we had to produce our COVID certs. We not only had to produce our COVID certificates, they also asked for photo ID to prove that we were the person who was who was on the COVID certificate. So I was kind of impressed with that. So we went and we had a cup of coffee. And then on the way back, we stopped in to get a quick bite of uh, lunch. And again, we had to produce our COVID certs. And one of us had to put, you know, for contact tracing, had to put name and uh, a telephone number. So I certainly was, was impressed with that. Am I hearing that everyone is checking Yes, well, I, I certainly have heard from other people to say that they went in, had something to eat, wasn't asked for their COVID certificate. I've also heard from other people who went with their COVID certificate and didn't have photographic ID and were, were refused. So some people are really sticking to the letter of the law and others are not. The only thing I will say to that listener who doesn't want her name mentioned, which is, which is fine. What you should have done when you went to the event where you were allowed in without your COVID certificate and then as you say, you left because you felt uncomfortable, you should have gone and spoken to somebody in management and asked. I mean, the only way we're going to make sure that people are sticking, particularly for people who like the idea of going in somewhere knowing that everyone has been vaccinated. But I would, I would say ask, ask the question, why are you not looking for my COVID certificate? Because certainly at any indoor event, and we know I mentioned some of the places that are reopening today. There's a lot more places reopening today, a lot more indoor, like all the indoor dance, yoga, pilates, art classes, indoor sports, fitness, they can all now open up to 100 people. But all of those attending any of those indoor spaces must be fully vaccinated or proved that they're immune via recent recovery from COVID-19. So those for what's the easing of restrictions today, you still need to have your COVID cert for that. Now they reckon by the time the 22nd of October comes that we may not need the COVID certificate at all, but certainly for now. So uh, that's what you should have done. You should have asked. You should have drawn attention to the fact that they weren't checking and weren't looking for your COVID search. But let's see how widespread it is and find out from people if you have been out and about either out for a meal or if you've gone to do some dancing or gone to an event, gone to bingo, whatever it was, did they look for your COVID certificate? 1850. 
How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. The secret to summer-ready skin is here. Osea's number one best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil, clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity and transform dry skin to silky, soft, and unbelievably glowing. Its signature scent of freshly squeezed grapefruit, cypress, and mango mandarin transports you to sun-kissed summer days. Get healthy, glowing skin for summer with clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code GLOW at OseaMalibu.com. 333103. Bernie's taking your calls. You can text her WhatsApp 0862 103. You're listening to Cork Today on replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Cork Today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 0862103103. Friends of Onacara Centre in Middleton are holding a public meeting tonight to talk about the proposed closure of the centre. Many local families have loved ones who have been residents at the centre, some for many years, including my next guest this morning, Mary Hurley, who is hoping that the HSC may actually change their mind about this closure. Good morning to you, Mary. Good, good morning, Patricia. You're very, you're, well, you're very welcome. Now, you've got a relative uh, living there. Is this the Onakara Centre, for people who are unaware of it, is it very much home to all of the residents who live there? Um, yes, it is indeed, um, Patricia. It is um, first and foremost, I think, um, the residents' home. Um, the atmosphere and the... Um, the environment in the unit is a very supported, very um, um, safe and secure um, residence for the 19 people who are living there. And how did the residents and indeed their family members and relatives find out about the closure? It came out of the blue. Totally shocking for us last, um, the end of June, um, we we got a letter saying that the um, service or the, or the unit was to close um, due to some problems with the building and it came completely um, out of the blue for us um, family members and the residents as well. 
And at this point, and it's it's October, isn't it? It's uh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's next month. It's next month we're talking about. Oh, I mean, it's quite shocking, really. Look, this was the announcement was made um, something like the twenty eighth or twenty ninth of June, and we were told that the centre had to close by the end of October, and that consultations with the families and and the residents would begin. Um, immediately and we were to contact the um, service to arrange um, uh, a, a meeting and to be honest um, I, I I tried to um, have meetings um, several times at the you know over June July and August but the problem was that the um, the, the the staff in the unit had no um, knowledge or information about any plan of what to do. So we actually had our first meeting with um, uh, about this issue last week, so some some eleven weeks later. And the the the, the clock they tell us is rolling. Uh, at the meeting I was at with my relative, um, we were told you know that this had to happen, and um, we were trying to make all these um, life changing plans within. Six weeks. I, I, I just can't tell you how um, uh, distressing and disturbing that is for, um, for 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 all of all of the families, all of the residents. It's just really been devastating, to be honest. And Mary, I mean, I'm, I'm assuming if you know if there's 19 people living in this centre, and I, I'm sure somebody said that some maybe there as many as 25 years. I don't know if, if that's correct or not, but many of them so are. We, that is correct, Trisha. Is it? Is it? Yeah. So, do I, do I take from that, like, friendship groups would have been formed over the years? Oh, I mean, I can talk to you about my relative. Like, like um, her experience of um, Ona was that she moved there um, 25, over 25 years ago, actually. And that transition to moving to Ona was very difficult. It took her many years of um, painstaking painstaking support from the staff um, to help her find her feet and get her confidence back and feel comfortable, be able to kind of talk to other residents. Um, Even just moving outside the building was really um, significant for her and really challenging. But with time and huge support and encouragement, she she has managed to do that. um, And this eventually led her um, being able to move on and do um, uh, a national learning course. Wow. Yeah, it was just, uh, like, like I, I can't um, praise the support of the staff and obviously the National Learning Network as well in getting her to that that, that position. And then um, she moved on from that to join um, a local um, craft group. It's called Nimble Fingers, and it's just been such a huge... Um, uh, addition and joy into her life um, for all sorts of reasons. It's the connections she's made with the women in the group. When she goes down the town, she meets people, people chat to her, she chats back to them. They're now her friends, Patricia. Like, I, I can't kind of explain it enough. To no, you, I, well, you've, ex- you've explained that very well. It's like your relative and the other residents, they're integrated into... The community. This is where they live. This town and the people that are in this town, they're their neighbours, they're their friends, you know. That's it, it exactly. And and, and the the central kind of crux of all this is the location of the 
the centre itself. Onakura is, is situated, uh, lots of people will know it because it's a building that's been um, around since the 1980s. It's next to the Garda station. It's right in the middle of the town, just off the, the main the main road, you, you know, the main thoroughfare. And it's, um, it, it means that the residents can come out and eat, they can access shops, they can go down to the library, they go to the doctor, to the dentist. Um, to their shopping, um, go um, go for a cup of coffee. Like everything is in walking distance, and I mean, you know, walking distance maybe five, ten minutes maximum. And all of these people are people who don't drive. Yeah. You know, they're not able to drive for for many reasons. And um, being able to get out and about and actually meet people, it, I, it's just such, such a crucial part of rehab and their sense of being connected to this. This, this area, their sense of being and and belonging. It's it's all yeah. about belonging. And when when you had that meeting last week, uh, Mary, where is your relative moving to? Well, all of that was very much a vague um, um, kind of up in the air. It's still we're still trying to kind of find maybe possibilities. One place that was mentioned but not the, the, there's nothing definite about it was Sarsfield Court which is um a service that is um on the edge of Glanmire and it is um it, it is not a connected area. It, it, like the, the, the units of Sarsfield Court are um they're out in the country and there's a very poor bus service there. There are no shops around it, there are no um real neighbours around it. I, I don't know if you know the location. I do, I do, I do. It's completely different to the it's setting. Yeah. And, and 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 it's the loss of all of the um the community around them. Um it's the loss of the service. And I, I think maybe people are maybe unaware that if the unit goes, the service goes. And this service is a is a vital I, I mean it's a vital service for um for East Cork. There's no, there is no other long term um, and respite um, mental health service. Yeah, it isn't that there's another service down the road no, that, pe- that people can say. No. Now, when the HSC said in June that the centre is not uh, fit for purpose, and you're saying that it's it's a building, it's, it, it, we're not talking about a Victorian or a Dickensian building. Not at all. This was a building that, with the ki- that went up in, in the 80s. I mean, what, right. what condition is it in? I, apparently, and and we're we're not kind of arguing with this. There there are problems with the building in terms of um, all all buildings of the eighties have um, um, some um, like, like poor fabric and use of things like asbestos would have been um, kind of you know a normal enough practice. But none of that is uh, has been kind of destabilized at the moment. But if they are to make um, changes to the building, they have to obviously treat the asbestos appropriately. So that would require that, you know, the residents would need to move out while that would be being done. But um, like there is no immediate risk. Uh, Like this report about um, the building is around since 2019 and this kind of mad rush to um, uh, get people out of the building now seems very, um, well we're, we're, we're completely perplexed by it. Like, what is the urgency all of a sudden to um, drive these people from their home? It's, it's really, really shocking, actually. And so, so upsetting for both the residents and the family. I have had an email in uh, from... This has come in. Is this dated today? It is, yeah. This is from the Mental Health uh, Commission. And they are saying that it, it uh, expects... 
that the HSE um, all residents are individually consulted and the individual will and preference is respected before any decision is made to move them on to other facilities next month. They say we have requested information on where the HSE proposed to transfer residents along with evidence that this is an appropriate placement for them. The centre has been instructed that no resident is to be relocated from the centre without first notifying the Mental Health Commission. So the Mental Health Commission are certainly all on top of this. Tell me about your meeting tonight uh, Mary and uh, who are you hoping will will be there and what are you hoping to achieve from it? Okay, so I suppose there's a, there's, I, I suppose there's a couple of things. One is to raise awareness Generally, about the the, the the proposed closure, because I, I, I um, we we think that people in Middleton, Newall, Cove, Glenville, like these are all the areas that um, <clears throat> that are connected to this service. We we think maybe people don't realise um, that this service is being is under threat. So we want to raise um, people's awareness that this is this is what's being proposed. So there's that. Um, we want to talk about. Um, uh, the provision of mental health services in the East Cork um, North Lee catchment area in general. So we've invited along um, um, the local TDs and councillors um, and obviously the general public and anyone who has an interest in the area to come to the meeting. Um, thus far, we've, we, we've had some very good support from our local um, TDs um, right. in particular. And yes, where um, where is the meeting being held? <coughs> And the meeting is being held in the Middleton Park uh, Hotel in Middleton. Okay. And it's at half past seven. So, um, and you and know, was- when you look at a centre like this, um, and as you say, it's so important to the area because it's not that these centres are ten a penny that you can just say, sure, we'll close that one, but we've two more uh, in the area. And we never know, Mary, you, I, we never know when we are a family member will need a centre like this and it's just so important when we have one that's working well that it's supported and it's left in place. That's it Patricia and the thing is you're, you're spot on. This is, this is a facility in, you know that, that my, my family member is using at the moment but I'm so aware that this could be in two years time another family yeah. needs this yeah. level of support. None of us know. Or, None of us know. Or in ten years' time, you know that if 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 these services d- disappear, they don't get replaced. That's the problem. And um, I suppose Onakura is 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 we believe as family members and and the residents as well. We believe the um, environment and the location makes it just such um, a good example of positive mental health um, services, you know, yeah. and, we, you know, we hear all the horrible things about kind of places and um, we, we know people who suffered terribly in these, you know, um, situations, but this one is actually working. So while there are problems with the building, you can sort out a building, but if the, if the service goes and the, the, um, the staff are dispersed all of those supports are gone and it's really hard to um, get that back and get, you know, get, get that quality of um, service back. Well, I, well, I think as well, you, you so eloquently explained how long it took for your relative to settle in there. And yeah. all of that has to start for all of, of the 19 residents. And it's the fact of friendship groups and being oh. taken away from an area that they all know and love and that people know them. 
you know, walking down the street, you know, it's it, trying to get back in, trying to start that all over again. It's just and, and you know, these are people who have battled mental health issues and are, and, and are well and want to remain well. Correct. And, and Patricia, I, I suppose just to say like, that the people who are using these services are the people, you know, who have the highest level of need. So we talk about kind of, you know, mental health, kind of, you know, the vision of mental health planning and policy and all of this stuff. Like it talks about kind of these um, these th- th- these people being able to be um, supported within their communities. Okay. Not hidden behind, you know, high walls. Uh, yeah, listen, we, we moved we moved away yeah. from that yeah. and long may we stay away from, from that yeah. model. Yeah. Listen, the best of luck with the meeting uh, tonight, Mary. Your relative is extremely lucky to have you on board and I'm sure there's many other uh, family members who are, are fighting the good fight. Well, absolutely. Uh, and, and I suppose that's the, that is the point of it. Um, like Because there are some of the residents of this unit who, you, you, you know, are elderly themselves, they don't have... I know, um, I know. God, um, God, that's God yeah, so, so I suppose it is for all of them that you know we're we are trying to um, I suppose uh, it, 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 um, we're, we're trying to speak up. Okay. Because, Listen, keep yeah. in contact with us and let us know how you get on, uh, Mary. And uh, thanks a million for joining us today. Thank you, Patricia. Good morning to you. Bye bye. That is Mary uh, Hurley um, on behalf of the Friends of Onacara Centre in Middleton and their public meeting on tonight. Uh, trying to get the HSE to reverse that, that decision and to allow that centre to remain open. 1850-333-103. Bernie's taking your calls. You can text her WhatsApp to 0862. 103-103. Apologies when I was congratulating a young Cormac Harris and Alan O'Sullivan who at the weekend won the EU contest for young scientists up against young scientists from 39 countries across Europe and across the world and it was the project that they entered into our Young Scientists of the Year exhibition in 2020. They won there. That entitled them to go through to the EU one and they took the overall prize yesterday and I mentioned that they're leaving cert students now because obviously they did this project uh, two years ago and I said that they were attending school in Colosh the Column in Carrigaline but as somebody's pointed out Colosh the Column is in Ballangolic. It's not in Carrigaline and you're absolutely right and I knew that and my apologies and it just proves I read that from the paper don't read everything don't believe everything that you see in the paper so my apologies there too and to everybody across the column in Balancholic. Now, John Green joins me. Good afternoon to you, John. Uh, good afternoon. Uh, and, and you're welcome. Now, you're going to be joining us on air following this programme at one o'clock, That's filling right. for Nick. And you've been filling all across last week. And you had a bit of an episode on Friday to do with your bank account and Tell us how it all unfolded. It started with a text message. Yeah, OK. Uh, firstly, what I want to say, look, this happens to people all over the country every day. And just because it happens to somebody in radio doesn't make it extra special. But I believe we have an obligation and the means to warn people about this. Um, Friday, I was filling in, as you know, for Ian, uh, or Nick, sorry, and uh, finished, drove home, um, got home about 5.30. We sat down, we had something to eat. Then we started... Uh, Rose and I started chatting about the weekend and how it was panning out and all that sort of thing. And I got a text message from Bank of Ireland saying, we have noticed unusual activity on your account. We will be texting you in a few moments and please respond. So I said, <laughs> who are you joking? This is a, a, a scam. Because we talk so much about those scam texts. Absolutely, yes. Yeah. Um, so in about two or three minutes time, I got this text message saying, this activity has been noticed on your account. If it is you, just press yes. If it isn't, press no and we'll be in contact with you. 
And I said, <laughs> come on, who are you fooling? And I just ignored it. And then about maybe 10 minutes later, I got a phone call from an 071 uh, area code. And I didn't answer it because Again. we've been saying that we don't answer phone calls yeah. unless we recognize the number. The number, yeah. So I ignored it. Now, what saved my bacon was the fact that I, I'm registered for banking online. And I had my phone with me, so I just checked my account. And I noticed this um, transaction withdrawing 158 euro from my account for a well-known pizza company. And I said, wow, this whole That's a lot of pizza. That's a lot of pizza, you know. So, of course, I panicked. And then I went looking for the Bank of Ireland emergency number. And I rang. And it was all this press one, press two, press three, press four, uh, press one, press two, press three, press four. And eventually I was put on hold. And I was on hold for about 35 minutes. And I was getting really stressed at this stage. And um, what made it worse then was they were coming in with uh, these ads for various banking. Did you know you can do this? Did you know you can do that? And I was really nearly tearing my hair out at this stage. But of course, it was my fault. I should have answered the text message. So anyway, uh, I eventually got through to a lady by the name of Katie. I told her my story and she said, hold on, I'm going to make a phone call and I'll get somebody to come back to you. So I waited maybe two minutes or something. This guy, Kieran, I think was his name, came back to me and he was very helpful. And I told her my story and he said, yes. Um, he we said, have been trying to make contact with we you. We have been <laughs> trying to make contact, but you've ignored us, you know. And I said, yes, because I believed it was a scam. Yeah. So he said, fair enough, that's grand. But he said, First of all, what they did was, while I was sitting there where you are now, there were two attempts to take money out of my account. Um, and one was for a very small amount. It was for one euro and 18 cent. And what the bank referred to that as uh, tickling your account. Okay. You know, except your account wasn't laughing when they were tickled. And then if they are a success with this, they go on then and they try a larger amount, which they did for a delivery company. And then if that's a success, they try a larger amount again, which they did. And in this case, it was for 158 euro for a well-known pizza company. And if that's a success, then the next step is to clean you out. Yeah, they clear clear your account. So what he said to me was, right, he said, uh, okay, what we do now is he said, we we cancel your account straight away. We we freeze your account straight away. And I said, well, look. I'm I'm working over the weekend. I have a lot of traveling to do. I need money. I need to get petrol and that kind of thing. Now, he said, you have a choice here. Either cancel it now or go to your nearest ATM, draw out what you want. But if they hit you between now and then, it's your oh. responsibility. So I said, no, I'll, I'll, I'll start something out myself. So okay, yeah, because they, and, and they can so quickly, in, in that short period of time, if yeah. you're leaving the house, go to an ATM, you go to the ATM, there's no money in the, in the account. There's no money in it, yeah. You know, so now you're and, and you obviously asked, how did this all happen? Did you? I did ask, how can this happen? And I, I'm not that happy with the answer because I still yeah. can't figure out because what he said to me was, well, uh, they keep coming up with a combination of numbers uh, until they get a right amount of numbers in the right succession. And that is that transfers to somebody's debit or visa card. Yeah. And I said, right, OK. And then when I put the phone down, I thought, well, anytime you go online to buy anything, you give your card number, but then they ask for your security code. Yeah. So how do they 
How would they know your security they, code? Yeah. yeah, how did they get back? And, and as well, I've noticed, it's with Bank of Ireland, isn't it? You're, yeah. you're with, I'm yeah. with um, Permanent TSB. And while it frustrates me, anytime I'm doing any transaction, be it over the phone or online, you, they'll send you on a second notification that goes, comes through to your yeah. f- to your mobile. And it's a bit annoying, but I can see why they're doing it. It's, it's a double ver- verification. Yeah. Um, but in, and in fairness, when I mentioned earlier that you were going to be joining us to, to talk about what happened to you on Friday, we had a couple of people who were saying that, you know, very same thing happened to them, wondering, was it Bank of Ireland with uh, with John? And it, it turns out it was. They are, they are really trying to bring their A game in helping us, aren't they, in trying to. But because we're in this dilemma that I don't answer calls, as you say, that I don't know the number of. And I mean, text messages make me nervous straight away. I don't know how the bank are going to get around that. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, I could complain about being on on hold for 35 minutes, but it was my fault that I didn't answer their two text messages and their telephone call. Did they leave a voice message? Uh, in the telephone call, they yeah. did, but Was initially I didn't. I didn't bother, and it, it, the, the voice message came up afterwards. Yeah. And but at this stage, and I would advise anybody. I mean, what saved me was the fact that I was on banking online. Otherwise, I mean, I wouldn't have bothered checking my account. Yeah. The next morning, I was on early here, so I was leaving home about five a.m. So I wouldn't have rechecked my, or checked my account again, maybe until lunchtime on Saturday. Yeah. And by that time, it would have been too late. But I was able to check it there and then via the phone and that's why I would advise anybody to Bank, and, register and, online. And you also and I actually funny enough when you spoke about this uh, last week you need to get into the habit of regularly checking your bank statements for anything that looks a little bit I, I didn't do that and it's those small ones because they're clever in what they're doing you're not going to miss a couple of euro no. I mean the bigger one the 150 one yeah but the smaller ones you're not I remember my credit card a number of years ago got compromised and somebody in New York parked a car and like that it was for two dollars then they went in and had a cup of coffee for three dollars and then they did something else they got an ice cream or something which was for four dollars and that's when the bank realised and they contacted me and said are you in New York and I said wish that I was and they said well somebody over there's using your credit card so they were able to stop it straight away so now you have your you're now bankless at the moment or cardless are you I am yes oh, I'm, I'm bankless God that's I, so I, frustrating I, yeah what I'm going to do now when I finish here is I'm going to go out with a guitar and sing you on the streets <laughs> of Mallow but uh, you know the one thing I, I, again I advise people to to you know, go on, go online and register for online banking because it's so important. You can yeah. keep a check on your account any any time of the of the day or night. And Bank of Ireland are really good here because what he said to me was their security system is watching out for these small amounts being yeah. drawn out, not big amounts, small amount. Now, funny enough, just before. I came here just as I parked the car outside and came into the studio. I got another text from Bank of Ireland to say, you have to report this to the Gardaí. You have to make a statement and you have to email us with this statement number, the Garda name and number and pulse number. We're going to investigate it and we'll come back to you within three working days with a report on how well we're done. done. Well yeah. done, I'm impressed so with that. They're, they're on impressed. the ball, yeah. yeah they yeah. are trying. OK, so you're all right anyway, yeah? I'm you all right, yeah. You don't, you don't need a loan of a five or anything, do you? Well, you know, I wouldn't turn it down <laughs> at all, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, we'll let you away. All right. I know you're prepping for the show. Thanks right. for that. But it's a, it's, a, it's a cautionary tale for sure and that happened to our own John Green. Now, some of your calls are coming in. Uh, Pat Buckley, Deputy Pat Buckley, who actually we've spoken with 
months before about the Onacara uh, Centre was listening to Mary talking about her relative and what Onacara means to her relative and how it's been her home for some 25 years. Pat, Deputy Pat Buckley says... Mary is spot on when it comes to the proposed closure of Onacara Centre. It really is heartbreaking. Thank you for highlighting the uh, issue. Listen, that's my pleasure. Pat will be attending the meeting. He says they will have the Minister and the HSE Committee tomorrow on the issue. So he's hoping to raise it again. And uh, Pat, if you're still listening to us, keep us updated, please, and let us know what what goes on. It would be great if a little bit of people power now was able to work on this and we were able to get some kind of a, a change done. But for those, it's it's the residents. It's just, and I know Mary's speaking, well, well, she's speaking up on behalf of her relative, but she's also speaking up on behalf of herself, somebody who visits her relative and is seeing how well her relative is getting on there. It's just really, really difficult on families. And let's not forget there are also residents who don't have families to fight for them who really are voiceless they don't have anybody speaking up uh, for them uh, so people are welcome to go along to that meeting tonight, tonight in the Middleton Park uh, Hotel Heidi says Patricia once again with this building being shut doesn't it show how out of touch some of the people in the HSE can be about these situations they should be visiting these hospitals and units to see how important they uh, are well the HSE will say that that's exactly what they're doing and they'll say that's why they're closing it is because they say it isn't up to uh, standard. 1850 And then I mentioned people going places and not being asked for their COVID certificate. I'm after getting a flurry in texts and calls and let me bring you some. Now I'm not specifically mentioning places because in order for me to mention an establishment I'd have to get on to them. It's only myself and Bernie. We don't have the staff to be bringing all of these establishments to say why are you not checking COVID certs? So I'll just give you a a rough outline of where they are. Hi, uh, Patricia. Three of us were in uh, Limerick. Not one of us was asked for our COVID certificate. Then we went in to for have a coffee in Mitchellstown. Again, uh, we did. We were asked. Did we have our vaccine? We said yes, but nobody checked. We weren't. We weren't asked to be shown it. And then last weekend, I was in a restaurant in Clamell. The guy at the door says, do you have a COVID cert? Uh, I showed him mine and he said, that's fine for all three of you. Didn't check the others. Uh, Eileen says, hi, we went for afternoon tea. Nobody checked for the COVID cert. By the way, all of us had our COVID certificate with us. And Breathe and Malice says, Trisha, I was in Kenmare last weekend for a couple of nights. We were never asked for our COVID as st- st- status, neither in the hotel or in a pub that we went for lunch. Well, for the hotel, you don't. You don't have to be vaccinated to stay in a hotel. So once you're resident in a hotel, you don't need your COVID certificate. But the pub you went into for lunch should have asked you if you had your COVID uh, certificate. 1850-333-103. Bernie is taking your calls. Robert says, Patricia, on the point about being vaccinated in enclosed eating areas, indoor dining, does that include staff employed in some pl- such places? No, because we do not have a system in this country where workers have to be vaccinated. A vac- vaccination is optional. I have heard of some businesses who are very proud of the fact that all of their staff are fully vaccinated and will put up a sign. I've heard of one or two that have had a sign up saying all of our staff are fully vaccinated. But I know certainly in the early days of the summer we had an issue with that in that a lot of the younger staff, it wasn't that they didn't want to get vaccinated, they couldn't get vaccinated because the vaccination wasn't available to them. So no, staff, anywhere you go, inside in, in a shop, inside in a hospital, inside in a radio station, no worker has to be vaccinated. 
the majority of people are vaccinated but there isn't a ruling saying that you have to be. Bernie continues to take your calls 1850 and by the way you can I can see some texts coming in for Annalise Drisella nutritional therapist keep those coming 0862 103 103 The C103 Cork Diary With Cork County Council where communities and businesses all across the county can get the support they need at corkcoco.ie Mallow Active Retirement Group they're holding a fundraising coffee afternoon it's an aid of Marymount Hospice it's on this Thursday in the Arches Bar in Mallow 2 o'clock all welcome to turn out and support Marymount Hospice Howrigan's Bar and Lounge in Newmarket they've got their Marymount Hospice coffee morning this Friday from 10.30 to 1pm now mask wearing and social distancing is is essential and Moshra Platform goes ahead Sunday next between 2 and 5 in the afternoon music will be by Jeremy Coakley and Lee Sound there will be no cover charge and Drimmer League Autumn Fate will be held Saturday week the 2nd of October in Glen Illen Farm there will be a shuttle bus from the railway yard that will start at half past one lots of attractions and events on the day with all proceeds going to the Cork Arc Cancer Support Cork Today on C103 Call Patricia with your comment 1850-333-103 And taking a look at some of your calls coming in Margaret is in the mid-Cork area she is looking for an old-fashioned water pump you know the one that you pump by hand she says it used to be called a standing pump does anybody know where Margaret can purchase one or does anybody have one? We have Margaret in Mid Cork. We have all of her phone uh, details. John in Butterwind was on to say he was on the Butterwind to Donna Rail Road about five years ago. He came around the bend and there was a car in front of him and two trucks ahead of that trying to pass each other. He said he got an awful fright and only just managed to stop in ta- time. The road is still in the same condition as it was five years ago and trucks are still trying to cope with that same narrow stretch. The roads are simply not fit for a purpose. That's from John in Butterfant. And actually somebody else has a really good text in on this. If I can find it, there's just so many texts uh, coming in to me. Uh, Can I find it? There it is. Mossy. Hi Patricia, thank you for highlighting the problems with narrow roads in West Cork and indeed right around the Irish countryside. These narrow roads have been in existence for decades and the lorries, the cars, the tractors, the trailers, the silage harvesters, the buses etc. They have gotten to be the width of the size of the road now. Where was the forward planning for rural Ireland for the roads down through the years? Or is everything, is all of the planning just done for Dublin? The government and the councils knew about this problem. They've known it's existed for decades but they have never acted and now we find ourselves in the position that we are in thanking you and that's from Mossy indeed Mossy thank you for your text and Michael wants to point out that tonight is a full moon tonight's full moon is a harvest moon it'll reach its peak illumination at 7.55pm so 5 minutes to 8 tonight as it's the closest to our autumn equinox which means autumn officially begins tonight at 7.55 so keep a look out for that a full moon and actually there's been some as it's been becoming a full moon over the last few nights I've I've spotted it and it's been uh, quite spectacular let's hope that the clouds will move out of the way and we'll be able to get a really good view of it on people not being asked for their Covid search 
we're still getting in calls about that. Joe, listen to this one. Joe is from Cork City and he was visiting the West Cork area yesterday. I'll give you no more details than that except that he was in beautiful West Cork and he went into a pub. So the first thing he noticed, there was people sitting up at the bar having their drinks. Now, he said he wasn't asked for his COVID uh, ID and wasn't asked for name and number for contact uh, tracing. And he said... He asked the person, he says manager, so I mean, I don't know whether he knows for sure it was the manager, but he asked somebody working in the bar, is that legal to have bar service? Because, you know, Joe in the city was saying, I thought you have the view that everyone had to be sitting down. And the person in the bar uh, says to him, you're not in the city now. Ooh, it's meant, yeah, it's, they're not meant to be doing bar service at the moment. No, you're, you can have table service. Um, I have heard of places that are allowing people up to the bar to get a drink but I think if you read to the letter of the law I think it's meant to be all table service but certainly you should have been asked for contact tracing you should have been asked for a name and a number and you also should have been asked to produce your uh, COVID uh, cert. Uh, We were in West Cork yesterday only asked for a name and uh, a number. I did ask why are you not looking for our COVID certificates and I was told it's on orders by the manager and then I said could I speak to the manager they said no sorry the manager isn't on uh, duty 1850 someone else says employers have a duty of care to their employees this is on people heading back to the office today forcing them back into an office with unvaccinated people surely is not a duty of care to the employees who are vaccinated I am not going back into an office says a West Cork uh, listener and I'm assuming you're, you're either having or have had the conversation with your employer and your employer is happy enough to let you remain at home and that's going to be the norm as well. You are going to get uh, some people, some employers who will say they're happy for their employees to remain at home but not every employee is and we're also going to have the discussion when everybody's back in, in work people are then going to start looking for this bl- idea of blended working where they do so many days in the office and so many days at home but it's going to be individual you're going to have to sit down and have that conversation with your employer and some the for people who are looking for the peppermint cordial that we had an initial a West a Skibbereen listener wasn't it, sent us in an email and then somebody else was saying I've been looking for that peppermint cordial as well I haven't seen it in quite some time somebody's been on to say Dennis O'Donovan's shop in Bandon I don't know where in Bandon that is now but if anybody's in the Bandon area Dennis O'Donovan's shop usually stock peppermint cordial now whether they still have it or not I don't know because I'm wondering is it just been taken off the market if people are having problems actually locating it. And hi Patricia, could you please find out why the portaloos at Longstrand have been removed? I'll get Bernie to contact the council on this. The, the dunes are being used by people who need to use the toilet. There was a lot of people around yesterday, myself included, and the portaloos have been removed. Is it to do with the end of the summer season, even though yesterday was, was, was a lovely day, peach of a day to go to the beach in Longstrand, beautiful beach to go to? We'll get on to the council to find out. I'm assuming we will be told the fact we're at the end of September it, that they only put them in place for the summer season. Was that the reason? Leave it with us. I don't know if we'll get an answer back now before the close of the programme uh, today, but uh, we'll, we'll put a shout out to the council to see if we can find out why the portable toilets were removed from Longstrand. OK, 1850 333 103. Questions, please, for Annelise. I can see some coming in already. If you have a question, get them in. You can either call Bernie or you can text 
our WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. And somebody's been on to say Dennis O'Donovan's shop in Bandon is on the main street for people who want to check out uh, the usually stock Peppermint Cordial. Record today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 0862103103. And the plot thickens on the search for the Peppermint Cordial. Jerry O'Donovan, who runs Dennis O'Donovan's shop in Bandon along with his brother Anthony, was on to say, yes, we did once stock Peppermint Cordial, but we can't get it anymore. It seems to be gone completely off the market, which is tying in with what other listeners are saying, that they've been having huge difficulty getting a Peppermint Cordial. So you can't get it in Dennis O'Donovan's shop on Main Street in Bandon. Uh, they are no longer able to source it. Annalise Drisella is at the Health Hub Times Square in Balancolic, and uh, she joins me. Good afternoon to you, Annalise. Good afternoon, Patricia, and congratulations oh, thank you. on being inducted into the Hall of Fame. You're very kind, you're very kind. Come here, do you sell peppermint cordial? No, no. we've never had it. Now, we have lots of different cordials, ginger and the like, but I mean, I, I know people, it's very refreshing for the stomach, so the only alternative I could suggest would be maybe peppermint tea, and you can get peppermint in capsules as well for... Um, you know, for bloating and yeah, and actually, peppermint tea is a, is a good one because if and if you like to drink it as a cordial, just let it go cold and drink and, it, and absolutely, and, and stir in a spoon of honey, yeah, yeah, and it'll sweeten it up. It's lovely, yeah. Great advice as always. Okay, straight into uh, questions for you, Marie. Hi, Patricia. Could you ask Annalise what would she recommend for dry skin in my ears? They can be extremely itchy at times, says Marie. So I see this sometimes, Patricia, and I think it's nearly always one of two things. One is that the shampoo that you're using is irritating um, your ears or the conditioner. A lot of people are allergic to the sodium lauryl sulfate, which they add into uh, shampoos and body washes, um, toothpaste as well, actually. And it often for people causes dry scalp or itchy scalp. And if it gets into the ears and if it isn't washed out properly, that causes huge dermatitis or itchiness so that's one thing is switch to a shampoo without sodium lauryl sulfate the second thing is sometimes it could be a little bit maybe a fungal fungal infection that can happen especially if you've dandruff as well and the best thing for that is the grapefruit seed extract it comes in a little bottle the company that do it are called higher nature and actually just uh, dampen a cotton pad and put on a few drops of that and just wipe it around inside the ear. So if you change your shampoo and that doesn't clear it, it's more likely to be fungal and then go for the citricidal. Okay, hi, Anne, uh, Annelise. Uh, Angela has been on to us. Angela's tendinitis and arthritis in her hand. Any remedy or any suggestions, oh, please? Uh, tendinitis is a difficult one, Patricia, because it's inflammation of the tendons. And when it's somewhere like the hand, you're constantly using it, you know, so it's very hard for it to heal. But we have been getting amazing feedback on the UC2 cartilage product by Gal Vitamins. So that's a combination of cartilage, which is good for tendons and joints. And it's also got a natural anti-inflammatory in there, the curcumin. And we've even been a little bit amazed ourselves at how good the feedback we're getting on it. And I'm trying it out myself because I broke uh, a bone in my heel a couple of weeks ago. So mm. I'm on it at the moment and I'm hoping that I'll be out of my boots soon. So it seems to be seems to be doing the job for me as well, Patricia. OK. Hi, Annalise. Is it safe to take vitamin D and K2 if you're on aspirin? Yes, yeah, so it uh, absolutely is safe. There is different types of vitamin K and mostly when people 
in the medical um, community talk about vitamin K, it's the one that's very important for our blood clotting ability. But K2 does not cause blood clotting, so it doesn't contraindicate with an aspirin. But if you're very worried about it, you could always just um, um, take the vitamin D on its own and you can get vitamin K in lots of our green leafy vegetables. So eat plenty of things like um, the cabbage, kale, broccoli, spinach, all of those are very good for vitamin K. The other thing that's important as well is that we have a good population of healthy bacteria in our gut because they're the guys that converted from K to the K2, which we need for our bones. So generally very, very safe. But if you're, if you're worried at all, check with your doctor. Hi, Annalise. Is ashwagandha good for stress? Yeah, it's, it's a lovely herb, Patricia. There's a couple of herbs that are really good for stress. Um, rhodiola is another lovely one as well. And I think rhodiola is always a good herb if there's stress because of grieving. Ashwagandha is wonderful if there's stress because of very stressful, busy life and if there's a bit of anxiety going with it. So um, the, the, there's a lovely, actually, company that do a, a product called Stress Vida, S-T-R-E-S-S-V-E-D-A. And that's a combination of ashwagandha and some of the B vitamins, which are very important when you're experiencing stress. Um, you can get it on its own. Again, that company, Gal Vitamins, they do an ashwagandha. And then Viridian do a lovely product called Enhanced Rhodiola Complex. And that has got a combination of ashwagandha, rhodiola, rhodiola there's schizandra, there's a couple of other lovely stress ones in there. So if it's quite extreme, I use the Enhanced Rhodiola Complex and then the ashwagandha for maintenance. Okay, Nora wants to know, Nora suffers a lot from constipation. What fruits should Nora be including in her diet to help with it? So most people kind of go for prunes, Patricia, when they're constipated. But actually, sometimes I find that the sugar, the sugary prunes can constipate people further. What you really want when you're very constipated is soluble fibre. So the foods that the soluble fibre come in are more likely to be things like pears, um, kiwi. You get great soluble fibre in oats as well. Um, And then psyllium husk is a brilliant natural soluble fibre. So apples are good as well. But for a lot of people, I think I find apples are uh, very um, difficult to digest. Patrician can cause IBS. So if you're one of those people, don't. But what I'd suggest is that you do a little compote using kiwis and pears and maybe some apple, cook them up, stew them, put them on your porridge in the morning alongside as one tablespoon of the psyllium husk. And if that doesn't sort you out, you're really probably looking at um, an imbalance of beneficial, non-beneficial bacteria or possibly a food intolerance that's making you constipated. Okay, Anne wants to know what natural remedies are out there for reducing high blood pressure. And she wonders, is beetroot juice good? Yeah, beetroot is fantastic. It's high in two things that are very good for your blood pressure. The first one is potassium, um, which is one of the electrolytes and very, very important in blood pressure balance. The other thing is it's very high in something called nitrites. And nitrites help our blood vessels. They get converted to nitric acid in the body and they help our blood vessels to dilate and become wider. So blood pressure can drop as a result of that. Now, um, you'd want to probably be juicing the fresh beetroot or drinking beetroot juice freshly, you know, squeezed. You can actually buy bottles of it fresh, um, sorry, not freshly squeezed, but just pure beetroot squeezed. And you probably want a fairly significant glass of that every day. Uh, The other thing that's brilliant as well, Patricia, and if you're juicing yourself, is celery because that's really, really high in potassium. So um, I would I, I would juice uh, half a beetroot, a stick of celery, 
and a half an apple and that's fantastic for bringing your blood pressure down naturally. And the last fruit that's very good for blood pressure is the sour cherry. So you can buy that as a juice or you can buy it as a cordial and you could always add a, a spoon of that as well to your, your, your juice in the morning. Hi, uh, Annalise. Is active iron for women good? Also taking magnesium, is that good? I run a lot and I'm celiac and I'm just wondering what are the right tablets that I should be on? So the, um, if you're celiac, you're probably not as good at absorbing your minerals, um, including iron and calcium, which is why so many celiac people develop osteoporosis. So getting a very gentle iron is important because um, it's, you know, your already your absorption is compromised. So some people, the only thing I could suggest is that you try the active iron uh, and see does it suit you. Iron is, can be terribly either constipating or irritating for people. Um, and the worst kind of ones are the iron sulfates. So you get those more in the galfer and the likes. The one that we find works the best here is something called iron biglycinate, B-I-G-L-Y-C-I-N-A-T-E. And that would come in most of the health supplements that you'd find in the health shop because it is so gentle. So Terra Nova do a lovely product called Easy Iron. Viridian do um, a balanced iron complex as well. That's very gentle. Nutri-Advanced do a lovely one called Ferrograd. And there's also a bit of um, B12 and folic acid in there, which is really good for anemia. So that's a good one to try, especially if you're doing a lot of running. That's the Nutri-Advanced Ferrograd, F-E-R-R-O-G-R-A-D. The other thing then, magnesium. Magnesium is an interesting one, Patricia, because, they, you know, we read lots of articles that say it's deficient in a lot of the foods that we eat and everybody is deficient in magnesium. But I have seen quite a few people taking magnesium with IBS and it makes their IBS a lot worse. It can be very hard to absorb. So I would rather see somebody that has absorption compromised like a celiac, maybe use it as a rub for muscles if you're doing a lot of running. Um, and if you are going to take it, Take it at night time because it shouldn't, it, it can interfere with calcium absorption. And this applies really to everybody, not just celiacs. So if you're taking magnesium, take it later at night when your calcium absorption for the day has been done. And again, the biglycinate, B-I-G-L-Y-C-I-N-A-T-E, that's a much easier form to absorb. So if you really feel you need magnesium for restless legs and you want to take it, Go with that one. And the lovely thing is, is that the biglycinate is great for a good night's sleep as well. OK. And Lorraine's five-year-old is proving to be a fussy eater when it comes to what he takes in his lunch box. Uh, what would Annalise suggest? So, yeah, it's a difficult one. I think some, uh, because as well, you know, kids, especially when they're small, they're so busy, it's hard to actually get them to sit down and eat anything. So sometimes getting them involved in preparing their own lunches can help. So if they've made it themselves, they're more likely to eat it. Um, I think bite-sized pieces are important because if they're busy kids and they're running around, it's something they could take in their hand. I think always, like, kids don't like, you know, brown bread, which is the healthier version, but it might be easier to do a wrap for them. And in the wrap, I don't know, do they like chicken or maybe a little bit of cheese you could put in with, um, and then maybe some carrot sticks, and that would put in the extra vegetables and some fruit. That's very good. And most kids like yogurt, so you could maybe try a yogurt or a yogurt drink as well. But try and go for the sugar-free ones, which I know are very hard to get. But the sugar, there is quite a bit of, surprisingly, quite a bit of sugar in yogurt. 
Um, so any of those foods will help. And actually, if you go online, there's absolutely loads of tips, Patricia, and the effort that some mothers go I to know. make little faces in a lunchbox <laughs> is just fantastic. <laughs> well done, well done. And finally, uh, carrots. Is carrot juice better, says Nora, than boiling it and then drinking the juice? So carrot juice, um, the, the interesting thing about one of the vitamins is that for carrots and tomatoes are the same. Beta carotene, which is a brilliant vitamin, vitamin, it's converted to vitamin A in our body for helping us see in the dark. Uh, it's very important for skin health, all of that. Beta carotene is actually better absorbed when the food has been cooked. So cooked carrots are a better source than raw carrots of beta carotene. And likewise, tomatoes, the tinned tomatoes that have been slightly cooked are better for absorption. But actually, there's lots of other vitamins that will be destroyed in the process of cooking. So it very much depends what you want it for. I would, I always eat a couple of raw carrots every day because I like them. But also, it's good to have a few raw vegetables in your diet. And it's good to have raw juice in your diet. So it, I would say if you can do both, that's great. OK. All right. We'll leave it there. Listen, have a great week and we'll talk to you next Monday. Thanks, Patricia. Thanks a million. And all the information that we mentioned, Annalise puts up on her website, healthhubstore.com, as heard on the radio. That's Annalise Russell of the Health Hub Times Square in Ballancolic. A couple of people have been on about the people who've been contacting us saying that they were out and about, be it in a pub, in a restaurant, a cafe, whatever. And people, some people are annoyed that they're not being asked for their COVID certificate. Uh, Frick says if they're that uncomfortable, tell them to leave the pub and just stay at home. And someone else says, Patricia, why is it always seems to be pubs that are mentioned? I know of hotels that have music and dancing at weddings where people up and down to the counter all night hold things has been a bit of a farce. You either police everywhere properly or you open it up to all and there does seem to be a sort of a mix on some are sticking rigidly to the letter of the law and others are not. And somebody is taking umbrage with me about vaccinated, unvaccinated to the caller saying that there's no way that they're going to go back into work in an office with a non-vaccinated person. Are people that uneducated or naive after two years of nothing but COVID that they don't that they don't know a vaccinated person can spread or infect in the exact same way that a vaccinated person can and it's been proven. I think it's unfair of you, that's me, to not address this since vaccination is a constant topic on your programme. People who aren't vaccinated are not lepers and you have failed to mention this as it's completely somebody's own choice and business whether or not they can, will or won't get vaccinated and to create a vaccinated versus unvaccinated view on your large public forum is very irresponsible. Um, well, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry if you, you think that that's what I'm doing. I've constantly said about people who I, I see how important vaccination is and, and I'll stand over that until the cows come home. But I've always said that vaccination is an individual uh, choice, that we thankfully live in a country where people have the choice whether to get vaccinated or not. And I've constantly, including today, actually mentioned that point uh, as well. And yeah, absolutely, I would hate to think that we get to a vaccinated, vaccinated against unvaccinated. But you will get people who are vaccinated, who are very nervous about COVID-19, and they will be nervous around people who are unvaccinated. But you're right, whether you're vaccinated or unvaccinated, you can, of course, still get COVID and you can still spread. That's where I leave you for today. Thanks to Bernie Murphy for producing John Green is with you for the afternoon. He's in for Nick again all this week, and we're back with you tomorrow morning at 10. On to the now, Patricia Messenger. Very good afternoon. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.